BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Ariana Prail. In March, recording artists protested outside Spotify offices around the world as part of an ongoing movement to demand better pay. The streaming site's payout rates have been decreasing over time, with artists today making an estimated .0038 cents per stream. The Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, an advocacy group that came together during the coronavirus pandemic, wants the Swedish streaming company to pay at least a penny per stream and be more transparent with its dealings. We'll learn more about how streaming and artist compensation really breaks down the union's demands, and how independent artists are making money these days. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum, I'm Ariana Prail. In 2018, Daniel Ek, the CEO of music streaming company Spotify, shared a mission statement to investors that the company wanted, quote, to unlock the potential of human creativity by giving a million creative artists the opportunity to live off their art. Which sounds great, but NPR calculated roughly for an artist to earn the equivalent of $15 an hour at a full-time job, they would have to get nearly 658,000 Spotify streams per month, which are the kind of numbers big stars get, not your average recording artist. That's based on the estimated .0038 cents Spotify pays per stream. The Union of Musicians and Allied Workers wants artists to be paid at least one cent per stream. Full disclosure, I have a Spotify account myself, and it's the primary way I currently listen to music, which is part of why I'm curious about where things stand today and where things are headed with artist compensation and the streaming industry. When I read my colleague Nastya Wojnowska's article for KQED Arts about musicians taking an organized action at Spotify headquarters around the world last month to demand better pay, and as more broadly as a country we're having more earnest conversations about a living wage, it felt like a right moment to take up the conversation and hear what artists themselves are experiencing. So joining me first to talk about all this is Cody Fitzgerald, co-founder of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, and a composer who was part of the band Stolen Jars. Welcome, Cody Fitzgerald. Hi, thanks for having me. And also joining us is Josephine Shetty, a musician who goes by Kohinorgasm and a co-founder as well of, union, of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. She's also a public middle school music teacher. Welcome, Josephine Shetty. Hi, thanks for having me. And a note that we did invite Spotify to participate in today's conversation, but we did not hear back from them. So, Cody, I'll start with you. Tell us about how the union came together and exactly what your Justice at Spotify campaign aims to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the union kind of started uh, as COVID began to take hold in March and April, 
and musicians were just stuck at home, not touring, not getting the normal money that they make from touring, which is where most, you know, musicians income actually comes from and realizing that we had to do some sort of collective action to first of all, get, you know, COVID relief there. The initial thing that UMAL was founded for was to try and get unemployment benefits for musicians. And then it turned into the idea of actually building out a musicians union for independent musicians and, and for allied workers. Um, and so the Justice at Spotify campaign itself, which uh, started in October, is aimed at Spotify asking for at least one cent per stream. The current going rate, as you said, is about 0 0.0038 per stream, which is a crazy low number, um, as well as many other demands that would increase transparency and make them end legal battles against artists that they currently have going. And why the focus on Spotify for your campaign? I mean, there's also Apple Music, Tidal, Pandora. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Uh, Spotify is just the largest, uh, has the largest market share by far, um, and also is one of the worst offenders. They, you know, their rate is 0 0.0038. Apple's, Apple Music's rate, I believe, is it, you know, calculated at about 0 0.0056 or 0 0.006. Tidal is at 1.2 already over a cent. And so they have the largest market share and also are paying, you know, close to the lowest amount. And Josephine Shetty, why was it important for you to be involved with the union? Well, I think the idea for a new musicians union has been kind of floating around our networks for a while. I've, I've talked to a lot of friends about it, like collectivizing as artists, because there's so many decisions that we have to make individually, whether they're like business decisions or even sometimes like moral decisions like should I work with this venue um, how, how much should I ask for there's so many questions that we have to evaluate as individuals that a lot of other workers evaluate as a as a union as a collective of workers and so I've been talking about this with friends for a while so when I got together with this group of uh, musicians to form the union of musicians and allied workers it felt like it was just the the right time um because of how covid was impacting gig workers and there were just so many things that were piling up that we needed to address together and so that was a big part of why i joined this movement and your music is available on spotify among other platforms what has been your experience with streaming as an indie artist and how much are you making on average yeah, uh, I am on Spotify. I am also on Bandcamp and, you know, the host of other popular streaming platforms. Um, my experience with streaming has been that it's one of the main ways listeners engage with my music. So it feels kind of mandatory to be on some of these popular streaming platforms, especially Spotify, because it is a primary way that listeners are are listening. <laughs> and um but I don't make a lot of money on it. I mean, I have like a few thousand listeners a month and I probably make like a couple hundred dollars a month at best uh, from all the streaming platforms combined. So I, I have like a digital distributor that sends my music to a bunch of different streaming platforms and then my payouts get sent back through that distributor. And, um, and yeah, I, from all of them combined, I make a couple hundred dollars a month, but most of that is Spotify. Got it. And Cody, what about you? What's your experience with streaming platforms thus far with your music? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm in a similar boat. I think it is like this thing where it is it has become basically mandatory at this point to be on them. And at the same time, we know that they aren't paying us enough. And it's not even just us who are smaller artists. It's, you know, every artist is getting paid the same amount. Like the Taylor Swifts of the world are getting paid the same amount per stream. Um, and so, you know, for me, it is, yeah, a similar amount of money per month. And it's not like, you know, I want to say it's not, you know, just the smallest artists. I, I would consider myself within like the middle class bracket of artists if we're talking about, you know, uh, you know, this in terms of like labor terms. Um, you know, we've been on the, in the New York Times, we've been on NPR, we've been in Apple commercials and things like that. But we're still making, you know, this small amount of money per month. And so when I was preparing to have this conversation with you, I did check out Spotify's video that they put out about how the money flows. And in it, they illustrate how they pay money to rights holders, not artists directly. And, and they say once the money leaves Spotify's hands, it's up to the agreements the artists have with rights holders, which could be a record company or a distributor, for example, which I know you mentioned um, you have Josephine. And how many people are then involved with the music who get a cut? So, Cody, could one argue that it's an issue between rights holders and artists and not with Spotify or the streaming company? Um, I don't think that it's an issue between right holders and artists. I think that's a whole other issue that, you know, the union is trying to address at the same time, working mm -hmm. and talking about how labels can be more equitable with artists and things like that. But at the end of the day, if you're talking about 0 0.0038 cents per stream being split up between even band members already, if there's four members of a band, that's an insanely low number. It was already an insanely low number. But then if you're talking about, yes, managers or labels or whoever else, it just, all that that's showing is that it takes a lot of people to make this music. And it takes a lot of work to make this music. And the workers who are making it, because people are consuming it, deserve to be paid for that work. And I know the union is calling for a user-centric payment model. Josephine Shetty, what does that look like? I think Cody might be able to oh, speak better okay. to that Cody issue. Cody Fitzgerald, yeah. what is that? What is the user-centric user payment model? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, you know, the whole payment model stuff is very confusing with, with Spotify. I think, you know, historically, these payment models have been obfuscated purposefully to make it more unclear. But the way... Uh, user-centric payment model would work, which is actually sound, something that SoundCloud just started adopting and has seen that it is paying, um, you know, smaller and middle-class musicians more money, more of the share of money than it used to, um, is the way Spotify currently works is you basically, your money from your subscription all goes into this giant bucket, and then that bucket is kind of you know, split up based on the percentage of streams that everyone's listens to. User-centric works such that your money from your subscription is going to only the artists that you actually listen to. And so it ends up, the math of it ends up paying, you know, smaller and middle-class artists more uh, of their share for people who are listening to their music over and over again. Well, as artists on the show, before we go into our break, I, I'd also like to hear about the music you make. Josephine, your stage name is Kohinorgasm. Tell us a little bit about your music. Yeah, so it's cool to be on KQED because I got started making music in the Bay Area and um, I have a very underground, self-taught background. So I kind of just picked it up in college and had always liked music, but 
started hanging out and going to shows in the Bay and seeing a lot of cool underground, like electronic and punk artists making music on their own terms with whatever they had. And it was really inspirational. And so I just got started on GarageBand and then eventually through like community education and my own YouTube education built my production practice and um, I still make all my music myself. So it's a solo project. And even just listening to Cody talking about splitting um, payouts between band members, I think about how these uh, systems really affect like my own vision of my musical future. Like I've made music by myself for so long and in kind of like in my bedroom, I don't have a label. Um, and I really get most of that money back just to myself. But when I think about like collaborating or starting a band, um, these things do impact my vision for that because I think like, well, I, I'd be really making nothing then. Um, but I, I wouldn't let that hinder me, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about my practice and I have mm -hmm. toured and stuff, you know, I, I tour mostly like the underground circuit. Nice. And, and Cody, we're actually about to go into the break and hear a bit of Stolen Jar's song, Folded Out, um, just in about 30 seconds. Um, how did your, what's your music about? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, kind of indie rock stuff. I got started making it in high school, similarly recording everything by myself in a room. And then now it's a, you know, five piece live band and we play in New York and, and did a full U.S. tour back in before the pandemic, um, you know, with me and Sarah Coffey, Elias Spector-Zabuski, uh, you know, Isaiah Hazard and Grant Meyer. And we, we, we play all over the, all over the U.S. <laughs> Great. Well, we'll have more with our guest Josephine Shetty and, and Cody Fitzgerald, both musicians and both members of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. And you, our listeners, give us a call. Are you a musician? What's been your experience with streaming services? 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. Also, if you're a music fan like myself and subscribe to music streaming services, let us know your thoughts. More after the break. This is Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Form. I'm Ariana Prail. That was the song Chalo by Kohin Orgasm, which is the stage name of one of my guests, Josephine Shetty. She's also a member of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers and a middle school music teacher. 
Cody Fitzgerald, also a co-founder of Union of Musicians and Allied Workers and a composer who is part of the band Stolen Jars is also with us. We're talking about musicians, how they make money in the age of streaming and why some are demanding better pay from streaming companies like Spotify. We're also talking with you, our listeners. Are you a musician? What's been your experience with streaming services? How are you making money from your music? And overall, how are you making a living? excuse me, a living, especially since the pandemic started? Or are you a music fan like myself? Do you subscribe to a streaming service and have questions or thoughts about the services or about artists fighting for better pay? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And joining me now is Nastia Wojnowskaya, Associate Editor for KQED Arts, who wrote about last month's protest action at Spotify. Hey, Nastia. Hey, Ariana. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, thanks for, for writing your piece also and putting this on, on my radar. So let's zoom out a bit now and, and tell us about how the mainstream music industry more broadly is even is even thinking about the business of music and more importantly about artists these days. Right. So I think um, because streaming is not profitable at all, the music industry has kind of shifted into this model where ma major labels are treating their artists more as content creators. Like, for example, TikTok is a huge driver of popularity. And for a song to go viral on there, it only needs to be catchy really for seconds. So that kind of disincentivizes super labor intensive music with like an orchestra section and really complicated production and because ultimately these labels are trying to drive listeners to the spaces where artists actually do make money, which a lot of the time is merch sales. Um, also, they're brokering brand endorsements like for example megan the stallion and cardi b had fashion nova lines um justin bieber has a clothing line and and even on the indie level a lot of local artists who are successful like e40 for example has a liquor company and he's an investor in a, a lupia restaurant so um i think increasingly artists are uh, of a certain level are kind of taking the money they make for music and investing it into all these other income streams Got it. And can you tell us just a little bit about the contracts streaming companies have with record companies and some of that relationship and why that's become such an issue for for the union and, and others? Yeah, um, I, I think a lot of the contracts streaming companies have with spot or um, with record labels are really shrouded in mystery. And I think that's actually you campaign so I'd love to hear also what Cody and Josephine have to say about that but um, basically um, it, it's totally unknown how a lot of major label artists get featured prominently in the curated parts of the platform like when you log on to Spotify and it tells you what new albums to listen to or some of these popular playlists and I think that a lot of these artists are asking for more transparency about how those decisions are made. Well, this listener, Arthur, writes, why do the artists feel that Spotify should be responsible for providing a living wage when artists have multiple ways of making income? The company's mission isn't to provide an income that supports the desired lifestyle of artists. It's to spread music around the world. Uh, Josephine, do you have a response to, to Arthur's note? Yeah, um, I think that it's it. I think that what we want is a fair payout. It's not necessarily like 
everyone's going to make an income just off of streaming. Um, but right now we don't have a fair payout and a fair payout would set a lot of artists up with a more livable wage. So I think that, you know, we deserve a fair pay just like any other gig worker that has a sort of constellation of uh, income sources would deserve fair pay from each and every one of them. And Nastya, in your article, you cited uh, this recent U- UK survey and it found something interesting about audiences and what they're willing to pay for streaming. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, there's a similar um, campaign to what Yuma was doing in the the UK and they polled music fans who, and over half of them said that they would pay more per month for a streaming service if they knew that money was going to directly to artists. And I think it also kind of relates here to the popularity of Bandcamp Fridays, for example, where um, every Friday during the pandemic, Bandcamp has made it known that they're waiving their share of revenue and all the money um, from albums people purchase on the platform go directly to the artists. And I see that lighting up on social media on the first Friday of every month. And it just really shows that there's an interest for people to be conscious consumers and support the artists they care about, especially local and independent artists. Well, speaking of Bandcamp, I'd like to bring in Josh Kim into the conversation now. Josh Kim is the COO of Bandcamp, an online record store and music community where fans directly support artists. Josh Kim, welcome to Forum. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So tell us um, about how Bandcamp, which launched actually before streaming was even a thing, fits in today's online music ecosystem and how do you make money? Yeah, so um, first off, just want to say, you know, uh, it's really great to have this conversation. I think it's super important for artists to be fairly compensated for their work. Um, And thanks to everyone here for um, all their efforts on that front. Um, You know, Bandcamp is a, as you said, we're an online record store and music community. And um, that's been around for 10 plus years. And it's really a company that's been built around the mission of um, supporting artists. And the way that Bandcamp has found is the best way for um, artists to get support is to directly engage with their fans um, and for fans to be able to support those artists uh, directly in turn. And um, it's a business that's worked well for a long time for a lot of artists. um, And it's actually really, really simple. And I think that's a key thing here. Um, one of the things we focus a lot on at Bandcamp is making sure that compensation for artists is both fair and also transparent. And um, so, uh, you know, an artist can use Bandcamp, put their music up. They can sell digital music or they can sell physical music um, or other merch. So vinyls, cassettes, CDs or T-shirts and um, their fans uh, can buy them. And the money goes to the artist, 83 percent on average uh, per sale and a percent of the total sale value and um, it goes to the artist in 24 to 48 hours Um, and you know again it's really been incredible to see as Nastia mentioned over the past year especially as artists have needed more support um, once the pandemic really hit um, and touring revenue dried up we're able to put together Bandcamp Fridays which has been a day every month where we waive that uh, our share of the revenue. So um, all the proceeds go to artists. And over the course of now 12 uh, Bandcamp Fridays, we just had our 12th one last Friday, actually. Um, just on those 12 days, fans have paid artists $50 million, um, which is really 
incredible when when I stop and think about it. Um, and what's great is that even on every other day, fans are still using Bandcamp to pay artists because I think as as Nastia said, um, you know, if fans feel like they're actually supporting artists, uh, they'll do it. They actually love music, right? I mean, that's why they're music fans. And I think that's a key thing here. And uh, so on every other day, we've had over $200 million um, in the past 12 months uh, of fans paying artists directly. And it's really inspiring to see. And just briefly, I know when speaking with our second producer, uh, Polly Stryker, you made a distinction between Spotify and Bandcamp roles in the industry that I thought was really interesting. You said Spotify is you know, replacing radio and Bandcamp is really focused on music. Can you just talk briefly um, more about that distinction? Yeah, totally. You know, I think um, as as uh, I think an important distinction here is, yeah, you know, Spotify really seems to care primarily about uh, the casual listener and they really want to become radio um, and radio has um, really worked well only for big artists uh, in the past. And so I think it's no surprise that the current model still really only works for the biggest artists. But as Cody said, even then, I don't know if it's the best deal on the table, um, but it's certainly a better deal uh, for the big artists than the smaller artists. And, you know, what they really want is for a fan to trust the platform and just uh, press play, put their phone back in their pocket, let an algorithm do their job. Um, and maybe it's a slightly more diverse uh, number of songs than the top 40 on the radio, but not that much, much more diverse. And certainly the compensation model is not so different. Um, and uh, I think Spotify's recent movement into podcasts and positioning themselves as an audio company really shows how, how they're really thinking about themselves as radio. Um, you know, with radio, there's FM and there's AM, and now they're going after AM just as much as they're going after um, the music radio, as you know, we saw with this big Joe Rogan deal where Spotify somehow came up with $100 million to uh, get exclusive content to who I might consider to be a questionable, uh, questionable person. Um, and, uh, you know, Bandcamp is really uh, actually focused on artists. And I think that's a big difference, the casual listener versus the artist. And I think by focusing on the artist, uh, we're also focusing on the fans who care about the artists and giving a channel for the artists and fans to connect directly. And again, I think when fans, um, you know, fans love music, they actually really love uh, and love the artists that they that make that music. And when you give them a chance, uh, they'll support those artists and be very happy to uh, pay good money. Um, so as Nastia said, I think if um, any service creates that kind of connection, um, I think fans actually want to uh, put money into artists' pockets. And again, I think Bandcamp's uh, success over the past uh, 10 plus years, and in particular on Bandcamp Fridays, where we've really celebrated um, the act of supporting artists, uh, every month for the past year. Uh, it just yeah. really shows. Give fans a chance to support artists and they'll do it. Um, I think the challenge, of course, with streaming services is their lack of transparency around compensation and the fact that, you know, a real music fan is not that enthusiastic about making Spotify richer. Uh, they're, but they would be enthusiastic about making artists, uh, um, you know, have a fair compensation. That's Josh Kibb, COO of Bandcamp. We're also talking with Nastia Wojnowska, Associate Editor at KQED Arts. Cody Fitzgerald, a co-founder of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. Josephine Shetty, also with the Union. 
both our musicians themselves, and we're talking about the streaming industry and how to make money in the age of streaming. Well, let's go to a caller, Matthew in San Francisco. Matthew, you're on. Hi, um, uh, I'm a music teacher and a composer and musician as well. I have a Spotify account where I both listen and, um, and I'm an artist. And I wanted to uh, talk about a book by Jacques Attali called Noise, The Political Economy of Music. Uh, his last name is spelled A-T-T-A-L-I. Um, I'm wondering if anybody has read it, and if not, how come? It's a, it's a fantastic book. Thanks, Matthew. Has anybody, anybody heard of the book or have a comment with that? Nope. All right. Well, thank you, Matthew, for, for putting it on the radar for our listeners and our panel. And uh, I also wanted to, to bring in another voice. I spoke with Bay Area hip hop artist Davin Thompson, whose artist name is Dudat, about how he makes money as an independent artist and how he's looking at the industry right now. I do make money from my music, but specifically the way that I make money from my music is teaching people how to make music and how to craft their voice. From what I understand from streaming, it's just it's pay to play. If, if you don't have an organic song or a way, the way to create an organic buzz around your song is to get placed onto a Spotify playlist and then have your song discovered. But there are services to where they will place it and you can be in contact. You know what I mean? So the music industry has evolved into a digital, um, into a much more digital correspondency, especially since. Uh, shelter in place and shows are shut down. There's other ideas also with like cryptocurrency and different ways to uh, incorporate your your music along with that platform, which in all honesty, I don't fully understand. But I know that that folks are looking into it and it's looking like that's going to be the next step and bringing value back to to the actual music. So Cody has that mentions cryptocurrency. Have there been any conversations um, amongst the union artists around that? I know NFTs, non fungible tokens, and this whole new frontier might bring. Um, has that been a conversation that's bubbled up at all in, in trying to figure out this puzzle of of making a living with as a musician? Yeah, I mean we we've talked about NFTs. I mean I think honestly, um, our feeling is that. <laughs> We're not sure that uh, a new technology coming into the game is going to be the thing that saves the music industry. I think at the end of the day, collective action, you know, from the bottom up, building uh, resources for musicians, building a united front to actually like take on the issues of the music industry as collective workers and making people see musicians as workers is really what we have to go for. Um, I think NFTs are starting to make some really big artists a lot of money. Um, who already have fan bases that are enormous um and for people who are willing to spend like a million dollars on a on a on a random crypto coin um but i i don't know if it's going to be the future i mean only i i mean ask me in five years and maybe it will be but i i, I really don't know and josephine Dett also brought up the the playlist situation in terms of visibility and and i know that some spotify 
kind of advertise that sometimes as, as an exchange, as a way to like get visibility. Um, can you talk about that dynamics? I believe your songs have made it to a playlist um, with Spotify before. Um, we just have about a minute before the break. Sure. Yeah. Um, my songs have been featured on some editorial playlists and they definitely drew a temporary surge of listeners and streams to my uh, profile on Spotify. But again, kind of like Cody's saying, without real structural change, these things like playlists really just look like treats that Spotify is throwing at smaller artists. Um, and I think that that kind of feeds like the individualism in the music industry, like this kind of sense of exceptionalism that people striving for stardom feel like, oh, I've been chosen, you know, to be on this playlist and now I'm going to skyrocket to fame. But for me, I see artists as workers and I see so much power in our collective solidarity and collective action. So again, I think without structural change and without a true collectivization of artist workers, um, those things just don't really matter. We're talking about musicians, the streaming industry, and how to make money with my guest Josephine Shetty, co-founder of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, a middle school music teacher, and artist herself goes by Kohin Orgasm. Also Cody Fitzgerald, another co-founder of the Union and a composer, Josh Kim, COO of Bandcamp, and Nastya Wojnowska, the KQD Arts Associate Editor. We'll have more with our conversation after the break, and we'll go into the break hearing Do Dat's song, Dat's World. Sometimes it be, sometimes I'm a deity Grew up in the east where they go dumb like Tweedledee Tote guns, secure funds illegally That's how I was when I was 16 Triple XL shirts and big jeans Double XL mag and big dreams My partners in the block like a blitzkrieg And got knocked inevitably I always thought never be Way too many recipes to get the feta cheese And my destiny ain't in the hands of no man Other than the rhyme selector We've all got those parts of our house Where the internet just won't go well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. The single record has never been more important. You see, in the new world of streaming, if an artist can create that perfect single, their song will be streamed billions and billions of times, making them anywhere from two to three dollars. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. That was comedian Trevor Noah making a music streaming joke while hosting last month's Grammy Awards ceremony. This hour, we've been talking about artist compensation in the age of music streaming and in the age of the pandemic. I'm talking with Cody Fitzgerald and Josephine Shetty, both co-founders of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, and both musicians themselves, Josh Kim, the COO at Bandcamp, and Nastya Wojnowskaya, associate editor here at KQED for KQED Arts. So that Trevor Noah joke on a stage like the Grammy shows that there's pop culture level awareness enough to make a joke that you know the audience will get. Nastia, do you think this could be an inflection point culturally where organizing efforts can maybe move the needle on artist compensation? Is this a movement that will gain momentum, you think? 
I do. I, I think for so long, um, music and art in general is such an individualistic pursuit. And then also not to mention um, artists kind of a lot of the time feel pressure to project this image of financial success, which makes it really hard to transparently talk about the economic realities of music. So I think just the fact that artists are building collective power and just talking about how much they make out in the open and identifying as workers is actually a, a, a big cultural shift that I think will um, make this conversation keep progressing. And Eric writes, in addition to subscription fees for Spotify Premium, if we like a certain artist a lot and appreciate the effort they've made, why can't we, the listeners, tip them through the platform? Um, Josephine Shetty, has that been a thought that's that's come up in terms of the suggestion or is that part of what the union is thinking about or suggesting? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure if that option has been brought up, but it's definitely something that we're welcome to. Like, I think that this kind of speaks to what Josh and Nastia have mentioned about how listeners are definitely enthusiastic about supporting artists. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say that those ideas are things we're really friendly to. And let's go to a caller, Emma in Santa Rosa. Emma, you're on. Hi. Thanks Hi, for having me. Um, I'm in a duo called Prism. We're based here in the Bay Area. Uh, we've been doing touring on and off for the last few years, all through college and now after college. Um, we do mostly independent releases besides a few label releases. And honestly, the hardest part is like you want the resources that a label can provide, the money and the playlisting. But to be able to take that pay cut, you have to be able to, you have to work other jobs. So we've definitely not ever made a living from it. Oh, well, thanks for sharing your experience with us, Emma. Cody Fitzgerald, does any of that resonate with, with you? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as someone who has self-released a lot of things and seen the power of of actually getting all of the money to, in your own pocket, but also seeing the power that even just a label's name can have in terms of, of changing the way um, your music is being marketed. Um, it is really a big question. And I think it just is even more of a question in today's music industry than it ever has been when before record sales were driving a lot of your money. I mean, at the end of the day, if you think about it, you as an artist spend years working on a record um, and then it goes on Spotify and you see, you know, you spend, you know, 10, maybe like thousands of dollars also working on that record and you're not getting that revenue back. Um, whereas before that was part of your revenue because that is what most people are listening to. It's not really all your live shows, which is where all of the money is at this point. It is also supposed to be your recorded music that, people are consuming and is the reason people are coming to your live shows. Well, this listener, Mariana writes, I'm very happy I found Bandcamp several years ago. I love being able to support my favorite artists that would be considered quote unquote mid-level, yet I have mostly left digital in, in favor of vinyl in order to gain control over how I buy, listen, and store music. I would like to know how artists prefer fans to procure their music. Josephine Chetty, what's your preference? That's a great question. And I feel like um, people ask this a lot. And I, I, and I love that because it, 
it just is so comforting to know that listeners really care and think about how um, they engage with our work. But I think buying directly from the artist is great. Like if you can email or DM or get it from the artist's shop, um, that's great. I love Bandcamp Fridays. Uh, when Josh was talking about that, I was thinking about how I've sometimes made more money from Bandcamp Fridays than I even do in a month of all my streaming um, revenue combined. And I was even just looking at it like I, if for one of my EPs is $5 and on Bandcamp Friday, I get 470 for that, which is just the total minus the PayPal processing, it would take over a thousand streams for me to make that money um, that I got from just a single purchase on Bandcamp Friday. So things like that are really helpful. Buying directly from people is really helpful. Cody, do you wanna chime in with your thoughts? Yeah, I think I totally agree with Josephine. I mean, it doesn't really matter the medium, whatever we're selling, if you want to buy it, I think you should buy it. <laughs> uh, yeah. We have Cody Fitzgerald and Josephine Shetty, both musicians and co-founders of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. We're also with Josh Kim, COO of Bandcamp and Nastya Wojnowska, Associate Editor at KQED Arts. Stephen writes, I use Spotify to screen artists discovered through radio, news articles, and friend recommendations. When I like a good number of songs on an album, I buy the CD on Amazon, mainly as a way of supporting the musicians. How much of my purchase actually goes back to the artist? Josh Kim, I'm actually going to toss this to you just out of curiosity in terms of some of the competition that Amazon can present as this larger, you know, catch-all marketplace, and how Bandcamp is kind of still building its community and kind of keeping its own um, niche lane? Right, you know, that's a great question. And I can't really speak to um, what uh, the compensation ends up being from a right. purchase on Amazon. Um, I think it really depends, of course, whether it's on a label or uh, whether how, what service on Amazon they're using. But I can guess for sure, you're probably gonna be paying more, uh, the artist more than if you just stream them. So I would definitely recommend that. I would very much though recommend if you can find them on Bandcamp, um, uh, purchasing their CD or vinyl there because um, I do know that Bandcamp's share of sales, uh, our, our revenue share is is the lowest uh, relative to any other platform. And I think, you know, this goes to um, kind of something we were speaking about earlier, uh, which is that I think, <clears throat> well, with Spotify being positioning itself more as an audio company, and when you look at all of the other, rather than a music company, and when you look at a lot of the other um, uh players out there, whether it's Amazon or Apple or Google, um, I think one thing that really differentiates Bandcamp is we are really a music company um, only. You know, we are not this large platform that wants to treat music as just another piece of content in a large suite of services and other content, whether it's podcasts or in Amazon's case, toilet paper or um, toothbrushes or anything like that. You know, at Bandcamp, we're just all about music. And so um, everything that we do is oriented around uh, making sure that music as, you know, the important uh, part of the culture that it is uh, continues to flourish. And so, you know, we think that's really our big differentiator is when you come to Bandcamp, uh, you are in the world of music 100%. And we try to align the business model to that as well to ensure that um, artists are fairly compensated. And so, um, you know, Amazon's, Amazon's great. Sometimes I still buy vinyl records from Amazon as well. Um, and I think it's really, um, it's, it's great that they're still supporting that. But at the end of the day, 
we we think that there's really um, a benefit on our end, both for fans, artists, and our own business, to be 100% focused on music, treat music as art, not content, and not treat it as just another piece of content within you know a larger ecosystem of um, other types of commerce. All right. Well, let's go to another caller, Cheryl and Elsa Bronte. You're on. Hi, thanks for having me, and thanks for this great program. Um, my music is currently on Spotify, Pandora, and Amazon, etc. Um, I have a little historical point of view, because um, my first recording I made in the mid-'80s on LPs. So um, I started with LPs and then moved to CDs and all the way up. Um, and what I can tell you about in general with this conversation is it's a question we need to keep asking, and I'm really hopeful hearing what um, the person is saying about Bandcamp, because in my experience, I recorded for major labels like Mensa, Chirado, and Deutsche Harmonia Mundi, and it was just it was just a constant story of being ripped off, um, both in terms of the amount of royalties you're given or not given, <laughs> or um, mechanical licensing fees that you're, uh, you know, denied and, and et cetera. So this has been going on for a long time. Um, I do want to give a shout out to a local Bay Area uh, company called Magnatune. My music has been on Magnatune for many years. Um, they really do support their artists. Their, uh, their motto is, we are not evil. And I can say another thing that has been profitable for me is having my music licensed. So, hmm. for instance, the video game Braid licensed one of my pieces, and it blew up on YouTube, and that actually generated way more money than royalties. So licensing right. is a possibility. But anyway, well, my career, like the other person said, I mostly make a living from teaching. Well, thank you for sharing your experience with uh, Cheryl. And yes, it sounds like that is a going thread of um, musicians. Also, it's nice to hear that there's of dual jobs, education and doing music education is is high up there on the list. Uh, this right, uh, this listener, Curtis, writes, just as Uber and Lyft are models for making money for investors and not drivers, streaming music is a model for making money for investors and not for musicians. The reality is that musicians have been woefully underrepresented financially throughout the history of the music industry, as Cheryl just kind of chimed in. The, the pie for entertainment revenues is huge, and musicians deserve a much larger portion. Uh, Nastya Vonovskaya, you also talked about how one of the other routes that's kind of popping up more in terms of, I mean, it's less artist compensation, but just more livelihood is grant making. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think for artists working in genres like jazz that, you know, have a, a, an audience, but maybe not uh, as commercial, there are lots of foundations like San Jose Jazz um, that write grants for things like that. And then um, also artists who make work with a social purpose, um, who are really engaged with social justice themes. Um, I think there are a lot of foundations like the Rainin Foundation, for example, that fund work like that. And then also I wanted to plug um, subscription services like Patreon and Substack. I know a lot of artists, um, especially smaller artists, are directing their audiences over there where people can actually sign up to pay a certain amount of month a month to support that artist. 
And Cody Fitzgerald, so what are your next steps if Spotify doesn't respond to the union's demands? So kind of where is this all headed in your eyes? You know, this is just the first step in, in a long line of steps the union can take to start building power and, and bring people on board. Obviously, you know, the one cent per stream demand just sounds so obvious to people because it is insane that we aren't even making that per stream. And I think it's really bringing a lot of people into this conversation um, and building power by bringing people into that conversation. Um, you know, as was mentioned earlier in the program, there is uh, in the UK um, an investigation in the House of Commons into streaming services in general. And it would be awesome to see something like that happen in the United States as well. And I think hopefully that's another place we're headed. But, you know, for now, um, we've seen them respond to our demands already with the loud and clear website they put out, which uh, was supposed to be a very transparent uh, website, but really didn't provide very much transparency. And um, I think, you know, we're just trying to build power and work towards a, towards a better future. So hopefully as we continue to bring more musicians into this conversation, um, it becomes a bigger conversation in the United States and, uh, and leads to something bigger. And this listener asks, I've seen friends play a musician's song on repeat for hours with their computer on mute to give support to that musician. Is that viable or impactful in any real way? Josephine Shetty? <laughs> That's really sweet. And, you know, I've done that for friends, too. And I know friends who've done that for me. And I think that that, again, just speaks to um, how much listeners are down to support artists. I, I think that that's awesome, but I do think that we need the structural change ultimately. You know, we need we need models that put more money in artists' pockets that support music workers as a collective workforce. Um, and and I love that though. And I think all the listeners who do things like that, these hacks that get artists more money and more uh, bumps on the algorithms. But yeah, I think ultimately we need we need structural change. And Greg writes, as a musician, I find the idea of the unionization of art a direct path to its commoditization. Art reduced to a basic objective value is no longer art, nor is its creator an artist. They're merely an interchangeable cog in a factory. There's no universal value in art, and there shouldn't be. I will let that uh, comment stand. And we had another comment who said, won't block a commenter who said, won't blockchain cryptocurrency actually help musicians by paying them directly? I know we kind of touched on this earlier. Um, Josh Kim, I'm curious if you had any thoughts and kind of looking at where the digital music industry is headed um, in these next few years, you think? Yeah, you know, I think that um, it's kind of funny because I guess at Bandcamp, we've been around for a while now and it doesn't take cryptocurrency or NFTs to support artists directly. Um, you can you can do that on Bandcamp with um, one of the better uh revenue shares around where, you know, we really only make money when artists make a lot more money. We take 10 to 15% of sales. And I think as Josephine um, also noted, you know, you can always just purchase directly from the artist. Um, it's not that hard to do at the end of the day. And um, I think any consumer who's sitting there um, sitting or, or any, any fan who's out there hitting repeat on a play could direct that energy just as well towards again, DMing the artists or finding their band camp and trying to support them directly. Um, you know, with cryptocurrencies, I think there's just a lot of speculation around there. Um, there's also a lot of environmental concerns around the, the, the actual um, energy costs of 
uh, doing any sort of transaction, um, which has been spoken about a lot. So I have some hesitations around cryptocurrency and NFTs in general, particularly when there's already so many great ways to directly support artists. It's really just a matter of, um, you know, uh, getting out of the algorithmic playlists and uh, going and engaging with the artists who make the music that you love. And briefly, Josephine Shetty, to a closing thought and, and your hopes for where the mu music industry goes from here. Um, so many places, but I would love to see more music workers united, forming a united front, um, joining either our union or forming their own unions. We are definitely in solidarity with other un music unions. Um, more artist ownership. Uh, earlier, we mentioned some platform like Patreon model platforms. And I want to shout out Ampled, which is a Patreon model platform that is also a worker co-op. So people who create uh, profiles there can also be an owner, a worker owner. And Great. I think artist ownership is a, a big part of our future. Great. Well, thank you, Josephine Shetty, co-founder of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, middle school music teacher and artist who goes by Kohin Orgasm. Cody Fitzgerald, co-founder of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers as well, and a composer part of the, I'm forgetting your band name, oh, Stolen Jars, there we have it, and Josh Kim, COO of Bandcamp, and Nastya Voynovskaya, associate editor here at KQED Arts. Thank you all for joining us for this conversation. And I'm Mariana Prail, you're listening to Forum. More in the next hour with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.